0: Go ahead and get this out of the way so you can see. Yes, I'm using this again, so no one makes fun of me afterwards. Thank you to my daughter, Caden, for letting me use her iPad. Grateful to be with you here all this morning. And this is exciting times, isn't it? Exciting times indeed. Can you feel it? Take a deep breath, everybody. Take a real deep breath. Can you smell it? It's the smell of revised freshly printed proposed bylaws in the air. (laughs) Exciting times indeed. We're only two weeks away from the vote on our proposed bylaws, and uh, we've had multiple opportunities to discuss the proposals with you, and very grateful for those of you who have have, uh, joined in that with comments and questions and suggestions. A lot of you have taken great care and given a lot of prayer to this, so thank you very much for taking part in this process. We're almost there. Two weeks until that time. So this is the 4th. Of six sermons in our series titled God's Church God's Way and we're looking essentially at what the scriptures say that a church ought to look like and fortunately God's not silent on that issue he cares about his church he loves his church he died for his church and he has written or allowed us to to see he's written lots of things about his church so we have that here today we've already talked about Pastor Chuck Two weeks ago, talked about, as he calls it, the $100 word of the day, congregationalism. Uh, elbow the person next to you, if you remember what that means. It just simply means that the final authority and responsibility of the church lies in its membership, that membership really does matter. And last week, he talked about elders and that elders from the scriptures, elders are to lovingly, humbly shepherd the church. So today, we turn to another office of the church found throughout Scripture, and that is that of deacons. And whereas uh, many, if you grew up in the church, many who grew up in the church probably didn't grow up with elders. Some of you did, but, but many didn't. But most of you, if you grew up in the church, you were at least somewhat familiar with the term deacons. And this is a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart because I, I are one. Uh, I was, as I was thinking about this, it was 16 years ago. That I was uh, recognized and commissioned as a deacon here in this very church. So I've had the great privilege of serving alongside some great men as we have cared for needs and very privileged to have that opportunity to do that for these past several years. So it's to the office of deacons that we turn. If you grab your Bible, if you don't have one, uh, look under the seat in front of you, and you'll find one that we've provided. It's on, we're looking at Acts chapter six, and it's on page 631 of the Bible that we've provided, Acts is in the New Testament. That's the latter third of the Bible, right after Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, four gospels. And it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit as he worked within the church and did a lot of wondrous things, built his church. So, today in this passage, we'll we'll look at a few things. We'll see the great need within the early church. We'll look at supernatural wisdom of the leaders and we'll see the role and qualifications of uh, deacons. So Acts chapter six, uh, we find, just to give a little uh, start on this, the early church is forming, and so you see a lot of of miraculous things happening, a lot of great things as the church gathers together, as they're uh, meeting constantly, they're meeting each other's needs, caring for one another, breaking bread together regularly, Uh, gathering together, they're adding to each other in number day by day. So just explosive growth in the early church is what we see here. And so we're gonna read we're gonna read today uh, the passage is Acts chapter six verses one through seven, but we're just gonna read the first verse right now. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what do we see here? What's, what's really going on? Well, we see a church, we see the people of God, that's growing by leaps and bounds. And they're experiencing the growing pains associated with great growth in such a short amount of time. So can you imagine if this local body of believers suddenly quadrupled in size overnight? If, if next week we came back, next Sunday morning we came back, and we couldn't fit everybody in here. The doors were open, people were... We're just outside just hoping to take part in the worship. They're hoping to take part and hear the prayers that are being offered, hoping to hear Pastor Chuck preach the word. Wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be really cool if that happened. So let's pray for growth like that, where people from our community are receiving the gospel for the first time, where they're hearing God's word and they're responding to it, and they're wanting to take part in our church family. They're wanting to get more of this, more of what we have, hear more of what is presented in scripture. So we should pray for that kind of growth, but that would produce great problems, wouldn't it? Great problems to have, but still great problems. So that's what we're seeing here in this passage today. So what are the problems that they're facing? So first, make sure that we understand what's happened here. Jesus, the son of God, fully man, fully God, he came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he died, was, was crucified, he was resurrected, and he has spent 40 days with his disciples uh, gathering people together, teaching, and then he's just recently ascended to the Father in heaven. And the, the people, the, his early church, are all on their own now. Holy Spirit has been sent, but Jesus is gone. Jesus is in heaven. And so the, the early church is forming, and it's a mixed group of people. Most of the early church is made up of of Jews who grew up and lived all their lives in in Jerusalem. That's, uh, in verse one, they're called the Hebrews. They're Aramaic-speaking Jews. There are also smaller minorities within the the early church, and one of those minorities is described in verse one as the Hellenists. They're the Greek-speaking Jews. And these are people who perhaps uh, grew up in Jerusalem, maybe left, and are coming back into Jerusalem. Maybe they've, they've got a family now. They want to raise their family within their, their cultural heritage, or they're coming back in because they, they want to die uh, in the place where they were born. And so they have become converts to Christianity. They've, they've accepted the gospel of Jesus, and now they're part of this early church. So we've got the Hebrews, the Aramaic-speaking Jews, and we've got the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews. And the early Christians of of, of this early church were doing what Christians ought to do here in verse 1. So think back about three weeks ago in the first sermon in the series. If you remember, Pastor Chuck preached out of Acts 2. And what was going on in Acts 2? Does anybody remember what was happening? If you don't remember, you could turn back just a page or two, and they were gathering together, they were meeting together regularly, they were breaking bread together spending time together, taking care of needs within the church family. And so material goods within the early church were a source of blessing within the church, but they were also a source of tension. There was a lot of tension over those material goods. And so arose a problem in verse one that threatened this community, threatened the early church. The minority widows weren't being fed. So for whatever reason, scripture doesn't say, maybe it was favoritism, Maybe it was just because it was a minority and they were being overlooked. For whatever reason, the, the minority widows were not being fed. The early church was, was trying to meet those needs, those practical needs, but in practice, their help wasn't perfect. So there was a problem on, on several levels here of this issue of, of neglect. The first thing was it was a practical problem. People had physical needs. Some didn't have enough to eat. And they weren't being cared for so there's a practical problem second there was a unity problem this practical problem of physical needs was was threatening to disrupt the very unity of the early church so don't let this slip by this is a key thing here there, this church, this is the type of issue within the early church that could have split the church could have destroyed uh, this early church so this is a huge issue of food distribution third there was a racial problem or an ethnic problem you had a dispute between the majority and the minority a dispute between two distinct people groups so what's more the greek-speaking jews the hellenists as they're described here they were a true minority the hebrews the aramaic speaking jews were about 80 percent of the early church they made up a vast majority 80 percent. the hellenists made up less than 20%. So the widows were a minority within that minority. So we had a a true minority of widows, the epitome of a minority in these widows that weren't being taken care of. So we have the majority not caring for the minority. Now does that sound familiar? That's an ancient problem, right? We don't have that problem today in 2015. We don't have a problem of the majority. That's sarcasm, by the way. Uh, We don't have a problem of the majority, not caring for the minority. That's just an ancient problem, not a problem of today. Fourth, you had a sin problem. So verse 1 says again, it says, Widows were being neglected. They were being neglected. Now that's a strong word. That's, that's a, a no-no in the Jewish culture from which the early church sprung. It's also a no-no of... Uh, uh, of today as well. We are commanded as believers, as Christians, to take care of widows, to take care of, of single mothers as, as a church family. So it was a sin to not care for the needs. It was a duty. It was an absolute must to take care of these widows. And again, like I said, that's a problem for us today as well. So hopefully we're growing in God's grace as we, as we try to meet those needs and care for people around us. So it's a sin problem. Fifth, finally, we have a gospel problem. So take a look around you. I've got a perfect view of all of you, but take a look around you. Look to your left, look to your right, maybe even look behind you and see who's been kicking your seat. So what do you see? What do you see? Well, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, What do i have in common it's crazy that i'm here it's crazy that we're all here what do i have in common with this person sitting next to me what do i have in common with this person sitting behind me i'm thinking what i have in common with some of you right but it's only by the gospel that we're unified it's only because of our unity in christ that christ has brought us together as a christian community that we're here today all of us together as a family and here in acts 6 we see a threat to that very gospel We see something with the ability to severely damage, to severely distort that gospel message. Facing this problem of food distribution, the early church is faced with an issue. Will they handle things, will they handle this problem like the rest of the world would? Or will their resolution of the problem be different? Will their resolution show the world the glory of God? Will it show the power of the gospel as God attracts more and more people to his early church? So does does that resonate with you at all? Does that strike a chord? Do you realize what we've been given? We've been given the opportunity. We've been given the gospel. We've been given the message of the gospel. We've been given the opportunity to share that with the world. The world is watching us, and do we as individuals... Do we as a church, do we look different than the rest of the world? And of course we should. We should have an ironclad commitment to scripture. Our commitment to scripture ought to trump, ought to be more important than the wisdom of the world, than the wisdom of today, of this age. Our financial decisions should look different. Our marriages should look different. Our positions on uh, social positions ought to look, social issues ought to look different. And all of that will often bring persecution, but it will also bring, bring glory to God. And when God's people are guided by his word and by his spirit, it's attractive to some. And a watching world can be changed. We'll see that at the end of this passage. So we as believers, we should look different. We should be different than the rest of the world because our lives have been changed by the glory of or by the gospel of Jesus Christ so just just as an aside let me take just a moment and say this if if I was going to start a religion if I was going to start a social movement if I was trying to create propaganda to get that that movement off the ground to get it going then I would not publicize the problems of that movement right would you so I certainly wouldn't publicize this kind of problem. This is ugly. This is nasty stuff. We have an ethnic issue that, again, can destroy the church. We have the majority not taking care of the minority. I wouldn't put that in any of my publication materials. I wouldn't talk about that. I wouldn't make that known to anybody. So why is this in here? Why do we have this issue in Scripture? Because it actually happened, right? Because this is truth. And not just that. It's because it happens today. It happens in our our world today. We still have practical, ethnic gospel problems in our world, in our churches today. We're sinful people. We need a Savior to redeem us from our sin, not just to the point of salvation, but we need that today. We need that ongoingly in our lives. We need to continue to let God change our lives. So, When you face a problem in your life, or when we face some sort of concern in the life of the church, I wonder whether we search for a gospel solution to that sort of problem. Are we actively seeking gospel solutions to the problems that we face today? So the early church had a great problem, a problem that could tear the church apart. They had a practical, disunifying, ethnic, sinful gospel problem a problem that required a a gospel solution if the early church was going to survive it was going to thrive so the second thing that we need to see this morning is that this was a problem that required supernatural wisdom and I, I mentioned earlier that the world is watching now how how would the world handle a problem like this how does the world handle problems like this well unfortunately we we as humanity we have an ugly history of this sort of thing When we've got the majority In control and the minority, what happens? Often it's the majority that wins. Just look at recent events here in Arizona. Look at recent events here in the U.S. Look at what's happening in Eastern Europe. Look at what what issues win or what problems the the wealthy have with with giving their money away to help those who have less. These are problems that we face today. So we would expect that the Greek-speaking Jews are just out of luck. We'd expect that their widows are going to be forsaken we would expect that they're going to continue to be neglected they're they're going to continue to be shunned that's what we would expect to see happen well let's see what happens let's read verses 2 through 4. and the 12 meaning the the 12 apostles the 12 summoned the full number of disciples by that means the whole church the 12 apostles gathered the entire church together And they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Let me stop right there and just explain what's happening here. You remember, I think it was two weeks ago, Chuck talked about the body and how we all have different responsibilities within the body, and we need to let the body be the body. And different people within the body have different roles and responsibilities. The apostles are saying, our job, our responsibility under God is to preach. Our responsibility under God is to teach the Word. Our responsibility under God is to pray and to lead. And we're not able to do that because we have these other things that are going on, other needs that have to be taken taken care of. So the 12 said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So before we talk about what happens or what happened here let's talk first about what didn't happen the church leaders don't divide up the church into Hebrew Hebrews and Greeks they don't split the church the church leaders don't shut up those people that are complaining the church leaders don't say that uh, let's set up a committee to study the issue for a few years and Uh, Then knowing that the committee is not actually going to come to a resolution, they they don't they don't do that. Those are not things that they do. But see what they do. The leaders in the church, the apostles, you might call them the elders in a church at Jerusalem. They take several steps here. So let's just listen. There's three things they do. They first they gather everyone together. They gather the entire church family together. Then they teach about the responsibilities of ministry, and then they share those responsibilities so just a brief word about apostles uh, that might be helpful that how many of you have used the word apostle this week and you're just everyday life really A couple people wow you guys are the outliers most people this is a church word for the most part so apostles are those men who were leaders in the early church who had actually seen and actually been taught by Christ so do we have apostles today No, we don't have apostles today, because none of us have seen Christ in the flesh. None of us have been taught by him. But one of the things that the apostles did was they appointed elders in the early church. They went around, they appointed elders within other churches. So essentially, the apostles were the elders in the early church, as they were the leaders, they were the shepherds of the congregation, they were the teachers, they were the protectors of the doctrine, just as as Chuck talked about last week, when he Preached on elders. So up until this very moment, up until Acts six, the apostles had been doing everything. Everything was on their shoulders. They had been overseeing the property and the finances within the church, and now they conclude they can't continue to teach the word. They can't continue to pray. They can't continue to do the things that God has entrusted them to do, asked them to do, given them the responsibility to do. They can't do all those things and. Take care of food distribution was just too much for them. So we see genuine, true leadership here from the apostles. And we see a strong responsibility within the congregation as well. So let's look at what they did. The leaders led by addressing the problem. They didn't ignore the problem. They addressed the problem. The leaders led by gathering the church together. Verse 2 says, The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. The leaders led by teaching about ministry responsibilities. They said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The leaders led by providing a solution. Verse 3: Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The leaders led by recognizing their limits. They recognize that they can't do everything. It's impossible for them to do everything. The leaders led by setting spirit-informed priorities for their leadership. They hold dear the specific things that God has, has required of them, has told them to do, to teach, to pray, and to lead. And then seventh thing, the leaders led by sharing responsibilities with others rather than keeping all the responsibilities to themselves. It wasn't about holding on to power. They weren't trying to hold on to everything. It's about shepherding the church it's about glorifying God it's about letting the body be the body of Christ so that everyone together can do their part within the church so friends that is supernatural wisdom that they displayed there and that's so different from the world so different from the world back then so different from what you would expect from the world today so how else do we know that God was involved well, look at verse 5, if you would. It says, And what they said, what the apostles said, please the whole gathering. So I think that we'd all agree that it's a God-sized task to get a church or any group of people to agree all in unison, unanimous, right? Insert your own joke there. So where did the apostles get such wisdom? Well, they got it from the Holy Spirit, of course. But they'd also seen that type of wisdom displayed by Christ jesus gathered people together as well scores of people came to him he taught ministry responsibility too he invested in 12 and then he he invested in three even more heavily uh, within those 12. jesus also gave away tasks he didn't hold on to all that responsibility himself he wasn't holding on to power in his humanity remember he's fully god and fully man in his humanity he knew that he couldn't do everything He had the rest he had to sleep he had a physical body so he gave away tasks he served others he passed on that wisdom to his disciples they learned the apostles learned and we see that wisdom displayed here in this passage in the early church so that that same type of wisdom that same source of power and wisdom is available for you today as well we all have problems But the only real solution to our problems is a gospel solution so are you looking for gospel solutions are you looking for spirit-filled scripture-informed ways to resolve whatever problem whatever you're facing today so that's that's all good but what about the qualifications we're talking about the bylaws this sermon series is in preparation for our vote On September 20th I haven't even mentioned deacons yet haven't even mentioned that word yet I don't think anyway so what are we what are we doing here what's what's the qualifications what are we talking about about these these seven servants who were appointed by the early church well let's read back through verses two through six this time the Apostle said it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables or at least, as far as you know. So, these they said before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So what does it say about the qualifications of these seven? Well, here it says that they needed to be of good repute. They need to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. So we see this, this teaching of the apostles in the early church. We see that fleshed out. Later on in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So turn if you would to 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's about 80 pages uh, to your right, page 685 of the Bible that, that we've provided for you. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, and we're going to read about the qualifications of deacons. These are the qualifications of deacons. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. It says, Paul says, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So if if you're a new believer in Jesus here this morning, if you're just checking us out in church, maybe this is your first or second time in church, or you didn't grow up with that background, all of these Terms. Uh, by the way, we're, we're very glad that you're here. Glad that you have chosen to, to worship with us this morning. But all of these terms, I'm sure, are, are kind of odd to you. Deacons, elders, apostles. These are, are silly church words uh, used by silly church people that don't have any bearing in my life outside of this, this building. So I've already explained what apostles mean, but let me, let me explain what the word deacon means. The word deacon. In the Greek, it's diakonos, and that simply means servant. So deacon means servant. So at the very essence, a deacon is a servant. Servant. Deacons are called to serve. But in Acts 6, the purpose was to serve a physical need, to make sure that the Greek-speaking widows were being served and cared for physically. Now that may be different from, from if you grew up in church, A lot of deacons that you you may have experienced may have had roles other than just service. But here in Acts 6, the role of a deacon is to serve. Here in Scripture, the role of a deacon is to serve. So deacons are incredibly important in the life of the church. We see that in Acts 6. So from a broad, from a high-level view, what did these seven do in Acts 6? What was their role? Well, they were instruments of God used by him to solve a problem within the church the issue of food distribution there was a need and they were meeting that need so over the past several months and and years really as we've looked at changing the bylaws i've done uh, a little bit of light reading on uh, church books that's sarcasm as well Um, done quite a bit of reading on church books and, and one of the things that that they talk about that I've heard multiple times is, is using the word shock absorbers to describe deacons. Has anybody else ever heard shock absorbers used to describe deacons? Probably not. It's a great analogy. But what do shock absorbers do? Think about your bike or your car. They, they make the ride smooth. They smooth out the bumpy ride. And inevitably in life there are, there are potholes. There are difficulties. There are bumps that you have to go over and so these shock absorbers make it easy or easier to go through so we have those issues in churches as well sometimes there are rough spots sometimes there are difficulties there are bumps sometimes that's a result of practical problems such as we saw here great growth within the church there's a real practical problem practical problem sometimes that's a result of sin Sometimes that's a result of new or sometimes unexpected needs. Actually, I think we see that in Acts 6, all those things. So whatever the case, deacons, servants, are there to absorb the difficulties, to absorb the shock of those difficulties. So regarding qualifications then, we already saw what Acts 6 said, the qualifications are. So Paul goes further, a little bit deeper here, and he says deacons are to be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, that they are to hold the mystery of the faith with with a clear conscience. They're to be tested, be found blameless. They must manage their children and their own households well. So that sounds like a pretty tall order, doesn't it? Sounds like a difficult thing. But actually, shouldn't all Christians be marked by those kinds of words? If you're a believer in Christ, shouldn't you have that description uh, written across your forehead? Shouldn't that be something that, that you were described by or defined by? Let me just pause for a moment and say that if you're a believer in Christ, if God's enabled you to, to choose him, if, if he's enabled you to see that you have a need, that you've messed up, that you are in need of a Savior, and you've accepted Jesus as your, as your Lord and Savior, then if you're a Christian, when you read the qualifications for deacons, Then you should say this is the type of character i ought to have this is the type of person that i ought to be what i'm saying is that deacons are not perfect what i'm saying is that deacons are not super christians what i'm saying is that deacons are genuine christians that their their words match their walk they're not two-faced they're genuine believers so that's what scripture says about the men so scripture says about male deacons but our proposed bylaws one of the one of the big changes in our proposed bylaws is that we're now calling for women deacons having women deacons so what what about female deacons well now we get to the fun part Uh, verse 11 let's read that again verse 11 says their wives likewise must be dignified not slanders but sober-minded Faithful in all things. So I know what you're thinking, some of you anyway. It says it right there. It says wives. It doesn't say uh, female deacons. It doesn't say deaconesses. It says wives. Well, bear with me. Let me explain this. the The word wives here in the Greek can be translated as wives, or it can be translated as women. It's it's just not clear. Those words are un, uh, interchangeable some translators choose to translate it as wives some choose to translate it as women in fact most of your bibles if you'll look carefully will have a footnote saying that it can be translated either way that it's okay to translate it either way in other words it can be faithfully translated as deacons wives or it can be translated as referring to female deacons so we believe that it should be translated as female or as women, referring to women deacons in this case. And why do we think that? Why do we believe that? Well, there's a few reasons. The first is that the word diaconos itself is used for both the masculine and the feminine. Bear with me. Some of, this, some of you will, will not like this part, but bear with me through this just for a moment. The, the word diaconos is used for both the masculine and the feminine. In other words, diakonos means deacon, and it means deaconess. It depends on the context. Just as an example, in Romans 16:1, a deaconess is referred to within the church. The passage reads, "I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deaconess of the church." So that's the first reason. Second, if you're still in First Timothy, look at the first seven verses of chapter three. You'll see that Paul lists out the qualifications of elders right before he listed out the qualifications of deacons that I just read. He lists out the qualifications of elders and women weren't mentioned at all in that passage one through seven so it really doesn't make sense that the passage on elders should or would not mention the wife of an elder but the the passage on deacons would mention the wife of a deacon additionally the verses after 11 seem to be Paul going out of his way to make the point that even if a godly woman is a deacon the biblical pattern for the home is for The humble servant leadership by the husband. And Pastor Chuck is going to expound on that issue next week in the next next sermon. He'll talk further about that. So for those reasons, we believe verse 11 is referring to female deacons. But even beyond that, we, we don't find any biblical reason to exclude women from being a deacon. Scripture doesn't prohibit women from serving as servants in the way described in Acts 6 or in 1 Timothy or anywhere else in the Bible. In fact, it actually encourages it. So we would love to add godly, biblically qualified women to our deacon body. We see God's wisdom in doing this. So this is a, 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 a big issue that I, I may not have given enough time to, but we're going to have a question and answer right after the service. I'll be right over here. If anybody has any, any questions about that, I'd be happy to talk with you further over here. We also have written a paper you can pick up on the uh, table in the entryway, and you are free to pick that up and read about, further about deacons and, and that very issue. So we would love to have that conversation further with you if you want. So verse 11 says that female deacons are to be dignified, not slanders, sober-minded, and faithful in all things. A key point in all of this is that the emphasis in 1 Timothy 3 is the same as in Acts 6. It's on character. It's not on talents. It's not on abilities. Deacons don't have to have any special type of ability. They just have to be men and women of good character. That's what scripture is saying. That's the point of that. So see that as the early church grew, more and more teaching was given to the issue. So the the apostles taught in Acts six, and then Paul gave more detail, he fleshed it out in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And there's no no contradiction here. So let's go back to the early teaching in Acts 6, verses 5 and 6 of Acts 6. It says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen and all those other guys, and these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them." So what what just happened there? What did they do there? Well, the first thing they did was they they had an act of commissioning of those seven. It's a a sort of conveying of a type of responsibility from the leaders of the early church to these seven servants. Second thing that I want you to see is supernatural wisdom, but this time the supernatural wisdom is on the part of the congregation. All seven who were chosen have Greek names. I think this is an important point, and just, it's a beautiful description of what God was doing in the early church, supernatural wisdom. Just amazing to think of. It's it's as though the early church, led by the Spirit, said, we don't want to have any hint of favoritism of the majority. We don't want to squash the minority at all. We're unified by the gospel. That's what unifies us, not... Ethnicity not what language we speak not where we come from. We're unified by the gospel So they chose seven from the minority to serve So does that mean that seven is the magic number of deacons for every church? No, does that mean that all deacons should be Greek speakers? No, does that mean that all deacons should be from a minority group from from within the church? No, does that mean that all deacons should be men? No, what that means is that the church led by the spirit and under the authority of scripture should choose deacons who are servants at heart, who are willing to meet the needs of that particular church at that particular moment in time in that context that that church is in. So those are the qualifications, but what, what exactly, what do, what do deacons do? What's their role? And particularly, what's their role in our church? Well, professor and author, and I didn't know there was such a thing, but expert on the office of deacons, uh, Benjamin Merkel, has this helpful comment. He said, The Bible does not clearly indicate the function of deacons. Yet based on the pattern established in Acts 6 with the apostles and the 7, it seems best to view deacons as servants who do whatever is necessary to allow the elders to accomplish their God-given calling of shepherding, and teaching the church. Just as the apostles delegated administrative responsibilities to the seven, so the elders are to delegate certain responsibilities to the deacons so that the elders can focus their efforts elsewhere. As a result, each local church is free to define the tasks of deacons based on their particular needs." So so God, in his infinite wisdom, has not not set up a system where there are cookie-cutter churches. Rather. He's allowed latitude for deacons to serve however is necessary within the context that that local church happens to be in. So what what do our deacons do? Well, our deacons serve in ways that, that many church members would possibly not even realize that they're serving. That's the heart of a deacon, to serve not for personal gain, but rather to serve humbly as a child of God. Doing the work of the Lord so that his church can more easily, more smoothly make disciples and and do the work, the purpose of the gospel. So deacons model themselves after the humble servant Jesus himself. We see that written and described in Philippians chapter 2. We read, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. God himself became a servant. And when deacons serve, they're modeling after Christ himself. So the deacon is a display of humility, a display of service, a display of love of God and love for his church. So I hesitate to do this, but I'm going to single out one of our deacons. Um, I I won't name him because he wouldn't want to be named, and I I don't want to embarrass him in that way, but... And by the way, I could have chosen any number of deacons uh, in our deacon body uh, to use as an example. But I chose this particular one because of the enormous number of hours that he spent, especially this past week. So did you know that we have a deacon in our church who gives hours and hours every week of his own time to take care of our church property? Even more so this past week with the storm that we had on Monday. He was here often dealing with contractors, making phone calls, making sure things are are going well. So there's a lot of things that we have at Church on Mill, or we have an abundance at Church on Mill. Two of those things are we have a lot of land, and we have a lot of old buildings, and we are blessed to have those things. But that's a big job to make sure that the ACs are functioning properly, to make sure that the the trees aren't going to fall over to make sure that repairs are made in a timely manner to all these things. Those are all things that you don't notice until it's a problem. You don't notice that the toilet flushes well until it doesn't. You don't notice that a tree is gonna fall over until it actually does. You don't notice that you don't have enough uh, or that you, you don't notice that you have enough storage for your ministry area until you don't have enough storage for your ministry area. And we have A deacon who gives hours of his time just making sure that all those things are in place and that's just one example of a deacon we have lots of deacons that serve and give freely of their time they don't ask for anything in in return they don't demand to be the center of attention they're happy to serve the lord they're happy knowing that they're glorifying god by serving others and that's a deacon so we have several who you might even Uh, might not even know who are actually serving as deacons not because they're not actively serving uh, because they do it in such a way that they're not looking for the spotlight they don't need a microphone in order to serve they're not looking for the applause of men they're looking for uh, to show the love for their Savior as they serve so we have deacons who oversee the physical and financial needs of people within our church many of you have been been touched and been affected by those deacons who have helped care for you when you had a moment of need a financial need or something of that nature we have deacons who make certain that each teacher and helper in our family ministry in the birth through 18 have had a background check that they're safe to work with our kids we have deacons that we trust and who are entrusted to count and deposit our tithes and offerings so we have deacons that do a lot of things that that we just take for granted to help the church run smoothly. They are the shock absorbers of the church. They they take care of those issues and needs so that the ministry of the church can run well. They are the ministry of the church in that sense. But, of course, we need more. There's several other areas that deacons can ably serve to glorify God and show love and care for his church. So, we have several in the church who are already doing the work of, a de- of the deacons, but maybe they just haven't been commissioned yet, haven't been recognized by the church in that way. So in about a month or so, we'll be calling for new deacons, so be thinking about and praying about who, is, who meets those qualifications, not that they're perfect, but that they are genuine Christians. Be thinking about who those people are. Be thinking about who is already serving in such ways, because we'll have recommendations for deacons here in about a month as well. So be praying about that if you would. And finally, this morning, let's conclude by reading this last verse in Acts 6 uh, 1 through 7. We've seen the need present in the early church, we've seen the supernatural wisdom that was displayed by the leaders, we've seen supernatural wisdom that's been displayed by the congregation. Of this early church and now in verse 7 we're gonna see supernatural growth so when God's people seek after and follow God's direction then what happens well verse 7 reads and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith don't let that last phrase pass you by. Did you catch what, what he said there? A large number of priests. Even enemies of the cross became obedient to the faith. And that's at least in part because of the, the faithful witness of a church that was led by elder-like apostles, that was cared for by servants of the church and whom the, the final responsibility and authority rested in the hands of the members what was a great challenge to the church an issue that had the potential to split the church great ethnic problem great problem that might have created huge disunity a very real problem within the church God actually used that and he turned it into great growth so imagine what God can do if God can do that in the early church Imagine what he can do in the life of our church. Imagine what he can do in the life, in your life, in your personal life. We all have problems. But when we seek God and we look for gospel solutions to those problems, look at what God can do. He can take even those challenges and turn them into areas of great, great growth for us. So let me close with this thought. We've been zeroing in on the role of deacons in the church today, but let's, let's pull back and take a, a broader view of things. What's really going on here? Why are there deacons? Why are there elders? Why are there members in the church? Why is that important? Well, the purpose of the church, your purpose as a believer in Christ is to make disciples, to tell the world what God has done for you. And the reason we have deacons and elders and members is because God Is helping us to be healthy so that we can more effectively more smoothly more ably share the gospel to share this message of Christ that's why we have deacons that's why we have elders that's why we have members within a church so when God's church orients itself to follow God's principles in Scripture people take notice and God is glorified so does that mean that our church is going to explode in number And next week when we come back, it'll be standing room only. Probably not, but wouldn't that be awesome if that actually happened? What's more likely is that as we seek to be shaped by the scriptures, our church family will become even stronger in our commitment to scripture, that we'll grow deeper in community, that we'll have even greater opportunities to spread the gospel, both here in Tempe and around the world. And we'll more and more bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. So wouldn't you love to be a part of that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, your word that has shown us what happens in uh, the early church as, as people are following your, your spirit, as people are, are seeking to model after Christ. God, we thank you for the deacons that we have in our church that model after christ that serve in such a way that that uh, doesn't display them but displays you displays who you are your character god we thank you for your love for us thank you for this church that seeks to honor you uh, with uh, following your word in obedience gotta pray that that as we consider these bylaws again that that you would just guide us and lead us uh, speak to us clearly we pray all these things in jesus name amen
1: Thank you, Ted. If you're going to help take the offering today, if you could go ahead and come now and do that, that would be great. Uh, One more uh, announcement we need to make as we conclude our worship gathering this morning. I'm glad that you've been here. Uh, Go ahead and come, guys, if you could. Uh, If you're a guest, please do put that guest card in so we can be praying for you and send you an email, follow up with you. The members will take care of the responsibility of giving. We're nearing the home stretch, as Tad has been talking about this morning, of a nearly four month long season of study, prayer, and consideration of our church structure. Many of you have thoughtfully engaged in this process. Uh, thank you. If you're a guest and you've come here uh, today, our hope is that this would uh, not just be superfluous information, but that it would help you as you consider what Christianity is, and what kind of church you ought to seek out. Regardless of whether or not you end up committed here, our hope is that you would find a church that is thoughtfully seeking to obey the Bible. And perhaps for all of us, uh, we recognize that um, in, in many ways, this is not the sort of sermon you show up hoping to hear. No offense, Tad, of course. But imagine yesterday as you sat to watch your favorite Team play their first game. Perhaps you sat down to watch the Sun Devils. That was painful. But perhaps you, sorry, Dan, um, imagine if you got your favorite beverage and your favorite health food, of course, and sat down to watch the game, turned it on, and someone, instead of playing the players, playing the game, Instead, someone got up and was droning on and on and on about the rules of how to play the sport of football. What would you do? You change the channel, throw your chips at the TV, something. So I'm thankful that you didn't do that to Tad this morning. Uh, We don't turn on the game in order to hear the rules of the game. We turn the game on to watch. And in many ways, these sermons the last several weeks have felt like uh, the rules by which the game is supposed to be played but there's a big difference uh, you see in Christianity there are no spectators we're we're not s- turning on the sport in order to just watch somebody else play it instead in Christianity we're told that all of us have a part to play and so more than just hearing the rules in order that we could watch someone else play we're being reminded of the rules behind the body and how the body is to be formed in order that we could all play our part. And so I hope that you've heard these reminders in that way. For years, we've gathered on Sunday mornings to worship God and simply say what the Bible says. That's what Tad has done for us today. This means for years, we have explored how the church belongs to Jesus, what our purpose is as a church family why membership is important and what it entails to be committed to each other, and also what the roles are of members, elders, and deacons. During several members' meetings last year, you encouraged the leadership team to form a proposal by which some of these things could be adjusted as a church family. That process officially began in January when Scott Wakefield was affirmed as the leader of a new team who would rewrite relevant portions of the bylaws. And then this continued in May, when the initial proposal was distributed. The last four months, in many ways, have been great, despite the fact it was summer. You participated in connection classes, special GC discussions, q and sermons, articles, papers, books, and scores of one-on-one conversations. And most importantly, many of you have, perhaps for the first time, read carefully what the Bible says about these issues, and we've prayed together about it. It's been a wonderful season. I'm deeply thankful that Church of Mill is a healthy church that can rightly handle issues of spiritual significance. You have persevered well in the unity that God's given us. Thank you. When you leave today, I want to encourage you to pick up the final version of the proposal, Based upon your input over these last four months, we've made a couple of revisions, which Tad will explain in just a moment. Additionally, you recommended several people to work with me on the transition team if these bylaws are proposed. And today I would like to uh, tell you who those people will be or who the recommendation will be at the members meeting. If you're here and you're one of these uh, three people, would you stand? Uh, The first is Scott Wakefield. The second is Todd Deal. I think maybe gone this morning, and the third is Kent Hardy, who prayed earlier in our gathering today. We'll vote on these individuals to serve in this capacity if you choose to revise the bylaws in two weeks. Proverbs 2, verse 6 says, the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Brothers and sisters, let's continue together to seek God's wisdom. With the Bible in one hand, and these proposed bylaws revisions in the other hand, let's spend the next two weeks seeking the wisdom of our Lord. Tad, would you come and quickly tell us about these four revisions? Thank you, sir.
0: So, uh, last Monday night, by the light of cell phones, because the electricity went out here, we made the final, leadership team made the final revisions as water was flooding into Chuck's office. And uh, quite a night. So uh, let me just briefly go over the four revisions to the bylaws, and and you'll find more about that uh, when you pick those up. But uh, for the past six years, for some reason, we'd spelled the the word Arizona incorrectly. No one noticed it. So we correct. That was one of the revisions is is spelling Arizona correctly. Um, Second thing is we created consistent language and procedures for voting processes within the document so that the voting processes are consistent uh, within the document itself. Uh, Third, we specified that the aim of the elders teaching ministry is to equip the body for ministry. Uh, Fourth, we made explicit what I think was implicit in the document, but we made explicit that deacons and elders have to be members of the church. So we made that explicit in that document. So again, as, as Pastor Chuck said, you can get copies on your way out on the table there uh, also we put out a blog post this morning so uh, you've either been emailed that blog post or if you haven't get on our website and you can find all those documents there and a further explanation uh, then more detailed than what we did we, what we gave just now. so members meeting that we will vote on that we will also have uh, great testimonies and information about some missions opportunities in two weeks on September 20th at 6 p.m. right here in the auditorium so mark your calendar for that and come back also have a dessert fellowship so, I'll be planning now what dessert to bring for that. And that's on September 20th at 6. So, again, I will be over here with question and answer. If anybody would like to talk further about uh, the message this morning or about deacons or bylaws in general, be happy to talk with you further about that. We'll also have some people up front to pray with you. Uh, college students, there's a lunch over in the college building. International students, there's a lunch over in the Christian Challenge building. So, take advantage of that if you would. And then let's be sent out by God's word. This morning in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it reads, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power is granted to, all, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. It's been great worshiping with you this morning. You're dismissed.